Chapter Eight, Part One of Constance Dunlap by Arthur B. Reeve. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Abductors. Take care of me, please, please. A slip of a girl, smartly attired in a fur-trimmed dress and a chic little feather-tipped hat, hurried up to Constance Dunlap late one afternoon as she turned the corner below her apartment. It isn't faintness or illness exactly, but it's all so hazy stammered the girl breathlessly and i've forgotten who i am i've forgotten where i live and a man has been following me oh ever so long the weariness in the tone of the last words caused constance to look more closely at the girl plainly she was on the verge of hysterics tears were streaming down her pale cheeks and there were dark rings under her eyes suggestive of a haunting fear of something from which she fled constance was astounded for the moment was the girl crazy? She had heard of cases like this, but to meet one so unexpectedly was surely disconcerting. "'Who has been following you?' asked Constance gently, looking hastily over her shoulder and seeing no one. "'A man!' exclaimed the girl. "'But I think he has gone now.' "'Can't you think of your name?' urged Constance. "'Try.' "'No!' cried the girl. "'No, I can't. I can't.' "'Or your address?' repeated Constance. "'Try. Try hard.' The girl looked vacantly about. No, she sobbed. It's all gone, all. Puzzled, Constance took her arm and slowly walked her up the street toward her own apartment, in the hope that she might catch sight of some familiar face or be able to pull herself together. But it was of no use. They passed a policeman who eyed them sharply. The mere sight of the blue-coated officer sent a shudder through the already trembling girl on her arm. "'Don't! Don't let them take me to a hospital! Don't!' pleaded the girl in a hoarse whisper when they had passed the officer. "'I won't,' assured Constance. "'Was that the man who was following you?' "'No! Oh, no!' sobbed the girl, nervously looking back. "'Who was he, then?' asked Constance eagerly. The girl did not answer, but continued to look back wildly from time to time, although there was no doubt that, if he existed at all, the man had disappeared." Suddenly Constance realized that she had on her hands a case of aphasia, perhaps real, perhaps induced by a drug. At any rate, the fear of being sent away to an institution was so strong in the poor creature that Constance felt intuitively how disastrous to her might be the result of disregarding the obsession. She was in a quandary. What should she do with the girl? To leave her on the street was out of the question. She was now more helpless than ever. They had reached the door of the apartment. Gently, she led the trembling girl into her own home. But now the question of what to do arose with redoubled force. She hesitated to call a physician, at least yet, because his first advice would probably be to send the poor little stranger to the psychopathic ward of some hospital. Constance's eye happened to rest on the dictionary in her bookcase. Perhaps she might recall the girl's name to her, if she were not shamming, by reading over the list of women's names in the back of the book. It meant many minutes, perhaps hours, but then Constance reflected on what might have happened to the girl if she had chanced to appeal to someone who had not felt a true interest in her. It was worth trying. She would do it. Starting with A, she read slowly. Is your name Abigail? Down through Barbara, Camilla, Deborah, Edith, Faith, she read. Flora, she asked. The girl seemed to apprehend something, appear less blank. Florence, persisted Constance. Oh, yes, she cried. That's it. That's my name. 
but as for the last name and the address she was just as hazy as ever still there was now something different about her florence florence what reiterated constance patiently there was no answer but with the continued repetition it seemed as if some depth in her nature had been stirred constance could not help feeling that the girl had really found herself she had risen and was facing constance both hands pressed to her throbbing temples as if to keep her head from bursting constance had assisted her off with her coat and hat and now the sartorial wreck of her masses of blonde hair was apparent i suppose she cried incoherently i'm just one of more of the thousands of girls who drop out of sight every year constance listened in amazement as the spell of her influence seemed to calm the overwrought mind of the girl there succeeded a hardness in her tone that was wholly out of keeping with her youth there was something that breathed of a past where there should have been nothing but the thought of a future tell me why soothed constance with an air that invited confidence the girl looked up again and again passed her hand over her white forehead with its mass of tangled fallen hair somehow constance felt a tingling sensation of sympathy in her heart impulsively she put out her hand and took the cold moist hand of the girl because she hesitated struggling now with reflooding consciousness because i don't know i thought perhaps she added dropping her eyes you could help me she was speaking rapidly enough now i think they have employed detectives to trace me one of them is almost up with me i'm afraid i can't slip out of the net again and i i won't go back to them i can't i won't go back to whom queried her friend detectives employed by whom my folks she answered quickly constance was surprised least of all had she expected that why won't you go home she prompted as the girl seemed about to lapse into a sort of stolid reticence home she repeated bitterly home no one would believe my story i couldn't go home now they have made it impossible for me to go home i mean every newspaper has published my picture there were headlines for days and only by chance i was not recognized she was sobbing now convulsively if they had only let me alone i might have gone back then but now after the newspapers and the search never and yet i am going to have revenge some day when he least expects it i am going to tell the truth and she stopped and what asked constance tell the truth and then do a cowardly thing i would you would not blazed constance there was no mistaking the meaning leave it to me trust me i will help you she pulled the girl down on the divan beside her why talk of suicide mused constance you can plead this aphasia i have just seen i know lots of newspaper women we could carry it through so that even the doctors would help us remember aphasia will do for a girl nowadays what nothing else can do aphasia florence repeated harshly call it what you like weakness anything i-i loved that man not the one who followed me another i believed him but he left me left me in a place a cross in brooklyn they said i was a fool that some other fellow perhaps better with more money would take care of me but i left i got a place in a factory then someone in the factory became suspicious i had saved a little it took me to boston again someone grew suspicious i came back here here the only place to hide 
I got another position as waitress in the Betsy Ross tea room. There I was able to stay until yesterday. But then a man came in. He had been there before. He seemed too interested in me. Not in a way that others have been, but in me, my name. Somehow I suspected. I put on my hat and coat. I fled. I think he followed me. All night I have walked the streets and ridden in cars to get away from him. At last I appealed to you. The girl had sunk back into the soft pillows of the couch beside her new friend and hid her face. Softly, Constance patted and smoothed the wealth of golden hair. You, you poor little girl, she sympathized. Then a film came over her own eyes. New York took me at a critical time in my own life, she said, more to herself than to the girl. She sheltered me, gave me a new start. What she did for me she will do for any other person who really wishes to make a fresh start in life. I made few acquaintances, no friends. Fortunately, the average New Yorker asks only that his neighbor leave him alone. No hermit could find better and more complete solitude than in the heart of this great city. Constance looked pityingly at the girl before her. Why can't you tell them, she suggested, that you wanted to be independent, that you went away to make your own living? But they, my father, is well off, and they have this detective who follows me. He will find me some day, for the reward, and will tell the truth. The reward? Yes, a thousand dollars. Don't you remember reading? The girl stopped short, as if to check herself. You, you are Florence Gibbons? gasped Constance, as with a rush there came over her the recollection of a famous unsolved mystery of several months before. The girl did not look up as Constance bent over and put her arms about her. Who was he? she asked persuasively. Preston, Lansing Preston, she sobbed bitterly. Only the other day I read of his engagement to a girl in Chicago. Beautiful, in society. Oh, I could kill him, she cried, throwing out her arms passionately. Think of it. He, rich, powerful, respected. I, poor, almost crazy, an outcast. Constance did not interfere until the tempest had passed. What name did you give at the tea room? asked Constance. Viola Cole, answered Florence. Rest here, soothed Constance. Here at least you are safe. I have an idea. I shall be back soon. The Betsy Ross was still open after the rush of tired shoppers and later of businesswomen to whom this was not only a restaurant but a club. Constance entered and sat down. Is the manager in? she asked of the waitress. Mrs. Palmer? No. But if you care to wait, I think she'll be back directly. As Constance sat toying absently with some food at one of the snowy white tables, a man entered. A man in a tea room is an anomaly, for the tea room is a woman's institution, run by women for women. Men enter with diffidence, and seldom alone. This man was quite evidently looking for someone. His eye fell on Constance. Her heart gave a leap. It was her old enemy, Drummond, the detective. For a moment he hesitated, then bowed and came over to her table. "'Peculiar places, these tea-rooms,' observed Drummond. Constance was doing some quick thinking. Could this be the detective Florence Gibbons had mentioned? "'The only thing lacking to make them complete,' he rattled on, "'is a license. Now take those places that have a ladies' bar, that do openly what tea-rooms do covertly. They don't reckon with the attitude of women.' This is New York, not Paris. Such things are years off. I don't say they'll not come, or that women won't use them, but not by that name. 
not yet constance wondered what his cynical inconsequentialities masked i think it adds to the interest she observed watching him furtively this evasion of the laws drummond was casting about for something to do and naturally to a mind like his a drink was the solution evidently however there were degrees of brazenness even in tea-rooms the betsy ross not only would not produce a labelled bottle and an obvious glass but stoutly denied their ability to fill such an order even whispered russian tea suggested drummond cryptically how will you have it with scotch or rye asked the waitress bourbon hazarded drummond when the russian tea arrived it was in a neat little pot with two others the first containing real tea and the second hot water it was served virtuously in teacups so opaquely concealed that no one but the clandestine drinker could know what sort of poison was being served mrs palmer was evidently later than expected drummond fidgeted after the manner of a man out of his accustomed habitat and yet he did not seem to be interested really in constance or even in mrs palmer for after a few moments he rose and excused himself how did he come here constance asked herself over and over as far as she could reason it out there could be only one reason drummond was clearly up with florence did he also know that constance was shielding her the more she thought of it the more she shuddered at the tactless way in which the detective would perform the act of charity by discovering the lost girl and pocketing the reward if her family only knew how eagerly they might let her come back in her own way she looked up the address of everett gibbons while she was waiting a half-formed plan taking definite shape in her mind what she did must be done quickly here at the tea-room at least florence or rather viola was known perhaps the best way after all was to let her be discovered here they could not deny that she had been working for them acceptably for some time half an hour later mrs palmer a bustling businesswoman came in and the waitress pointed her out to constance did you have a waitress here named viola cole began constance watching keenly the effect of her inquiry yes replied mrs palmer in a tone of interest that reassured constance that if there were any connection between drummond's presence and mrs palmer it was wholly on his seeking but she disappeared last night a most peculiar girl but a splendid worker she has been ill constance hastened to explain i am a friend of hers I have a business downtown and could not come around until tonight to tell you that she will be back tomorrow if you will take her back. Of course I'll take her back. I'm sorry she's ill. And Mrs. Palmer bustled out into the kitchen, not unfeelingly, but merely because that was her manner. Constance paid her check and left the tea room. So far she had succeeded. The next thing she had planned was a visit to Mr. Gibbons. That need not take long, for she was not going to tell anything her idea was merely to pave the way end of part 1 of chapter 8